With man, salvation is impossible. That's what Jesus says. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Only God can bring anyone, including the rich, to saving faith. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part four of The Rich Young Ruler. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't meant to be locked in a cage. Rather, it is to be preached to every person and nation around the world. On today's program, Tom will help us as Christians see and understand that Jesus' compassion for the rich young ruler ought to be the heart of all believers towards lost sinners. The beauty of Scripture is that it presents eternal, unchanging truths about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for a believer, it also provides you with practical ways to live out such truths in the life of your local church and in the world around you. What are some of those practical ways? Let's find out together as we join Tom now here on The Word Unleashed. You know, people say to me, and I'm sure you've thought or seen people and thought, you know, he's such a good guy. I mean, he's almost like he lives better than Christians live. Listen, if he's not coming to Christ in repentance and faith, he is an idolater. And it's that idolatry that keeps him from coming. There is something that is God in his life that he doesn't want to give up. This is the only time in the Gospels when an individual comes seeking Jesus and walks away grieving. Oh, they came often grieving and walked away joyful. But this is the only time that he comes seeking and leaves grieving. Why? Because of the real barrier to salvation. It's always the real barrier. It's always the barrier. It is idolatry. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 1 as he's laying out the problem with man? They've exchanged the true God for an idol of some kind. As he walks away, Jesus turns to his disciples because there's a lesson for them in this encounter. And that brings us to the fourth part of this passage, Jesus' teaching on the impossibility of salvation. The impossibility of salvation. Look at verse 23. Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, so he's now, the young man's walking away, and apparently he turns and looks at his disciples, and he's thinking about the application of this and how to drive this home to them. And he said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth gets in the way of salvation, Jesus says. How? Well, look back at Mark chapter 4, because Jesus has already covered this. Mark chapter 4, verse 19. Look at verse 18. Remember, it's the parable of the soils. And he's explaining the parable of the soils. In verse 18, he says, Others are the ones on, on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. So we're talking about the kind of heart that's like a thorny seed bed. And the gospel is sown in that heart. 
He said, these are the ones who have heard the word. They've heard the message of the gospel. But the worries of the age and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Here's somebody who hears the word, responds, looks like the real deal, but the deceitfulness of riches, the desire to have, to live at a certain level, to pursue a career path, chokes out that word. And before long, they have their career, and it's clear they don't have Jesus. The disciples had just seen an illustration of this in person. I mean, the rich and ruler had amazing credentials to gain eternal life. He was wealthy, and in that culture, that meant that he was especially favored by God, which meant he was a righteous man. He was a ruler. He had both a religious and civic reputation and influence. He was moral. He, he believed he had kept and had externally kept the second law of the, of the commandments. He was earnest. He sincerely desired eternal life. He was wise in that he acknowledged Jesus as the one who could give him the instruction he needed. Think about it. He came in the right spirit. He came to the right person, and he came asking the right question. But giving up his wealth was too great a hurdle. Jesus said it's hard for those who are wealthy to give it up, not to trust in that. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. Literally, the disciples were shocked at what he said. Why? Because they lived in a culture where wealth was a sign of God's blessing and favor. And so that meant a sign of a good person. So salvation for this guy should have been relatively easy. But Jesus is saying, no, it's hard for the wealthy. Jesus sees their reaction. They're shocked. Verse 24, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about salvation again. Jesus sees their reaction, and so he says it again, but this time he says it more generally. He uses that endearing term, children. How hard it is for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, rich or poor. This was essentially what Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember Matthew 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's hard to enter the kingdom. Because you have to come in without any baggage. And everybody wants to bring their baggage. Everybody wants to bring something. In fact, it's not just hard. It's impossible. Look at verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, perhaps you've heard the sort of sermon from at some point that the eye of the needle here is actually a small gate in Jerusalem and that to get through it, a camel had to have its loads removed and then get on its knees and then it could crawl through and that's a picture of we need to repent and be on our knees. Listen, that may make a good sermon, but there's no evidence of such a gate. And it wasn't even suggested until the ninth century after Christ. Jesus is simply using a familiar proverb. By the way, a proverb that's still popular among Arabs to this day. 
The camel, you see, was the largest animal in Israel in the first century. And the sewing needle was the smallest opening. So it was a very humorous picture to make a very powerful point. I mean, after all, as I get older, you know, trying to get a piece of thread in a needle is a challenge. Have you tried that recently? That's hard. But it's not just hard to get a camel, humps and all, through the eye of a sewing needle. It's impossible. That's Jesus' point. But here's his real point. As impossible as it is to get a camel through the eye of a needle, it's easier to do that than it is to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. It's impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's even more impossible to get a wealthy man into the kingdom of God. Verse 26, they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? This time the Greek text says the disciples were struck out of themselves exceedingly. They just can't handle this. This is blowing their mind. They're shocked beyond measure. And they're left with the obvious question, then who can be saved? If it's impossible for the wealthy who enjoy God's favor to be saved, who can be saved? Finally, the disciples get it. Finally, they're asking the right question, who can be saved? Now, I hate to do this. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to take a little detour very briefly. Jesus versus C.I. Schofield. Um, Matthew's version of this passage debunks the old dispensational idea that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things. You heard that taught? One, there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses them synonymously. In fact, in verse 23, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. In verse 24, the kingdom of God. And in verse 25, he says all of that's equivalent to being saved. To enter the kingdom of God is to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be saved. So, file that away. Now, Jesus' response to their question in verse 26 is absolutely key. They ask, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Look at verse 27. Looking at them, Jesus said, and this is, this is the heart of this passage. With people, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. He says two things. With man, it's impossible. What's it? What's it referring to here? It's a response to the disciples' question in verse 26. Who can be saved? It is salvation. With man, salvation is impossible. That's what Jesus says. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Only God can bring anyone, including the rich, to saving faith. William Lane writes, Salvation is completely beyond the sphere of human possibilities. Every attempt to enter the kingdom on the basis of achievement or merit is futile. The ability and the power to effect deliverance resides in God alone. Only God can produce salvation in the human heart. It's more impossible 
for someone to be saved than it is to get a camel, humps and all, through the eye of a needle. Can't be done. This is the seed, by the way, of what will later become Paul's doctrine of salvation by grace alone. We've studied in Ephesians 2 and other places. By the way, Jesus is going to begin to explain in the coming weeks how this salvation is accomplished. He talks about the fact that it's going to be accomplished by my laying down my life as a ransom for many. Now, let's look at the application. What do we learn from the story? We, we really, on two levels, get application. The first level is on the personal level. Let me just say, perhaps you find yourself tonight in the same situation this young man was in. That is, you're religious, you've done a lot of things good, you want eternal life, you really want that, but you aren't sure, in fact, you don't think you have it yet. You think something is still lacking. You're not confident that you belong to Christ. Understand this, only God can accomplish your salvation. Get that into your head. There is nothing you can do. Go home and try to get a camel through the eye of a needle, and then you can secure your own salvation. Only God can accomplish your salvation. You say, well, how does that help me? Here's how it helps you. It reduces you to the place of a beggar, which is exactly where God wants you. Where you come to God and you say, there's no way I can ever be right with you on my own. There's no way I can ever be changed. There's no way I can have salvation unless you act. You come to God as a beggar. Isn't that the first beatitude? Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the beggars in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You come to God on your knees saying, God, I bring nothing. I have nothing. There's nothing I can do. Only you can change me. With you, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. He can change you. He can give you a new heart. And, but this is key. Jesus will demand the same thing of you he demanded from this man. He will not be just one of the gods in your pantheon of gods. He must be Lord alone. You cannot serve Jesus Christ and anything else. If you want him, you've got to be willing to give up whatever it is that you don't want to give up. He may not ask you to actually sell your possessions or whatever it is in your life, but he may. If it's sin, he will. Practically, what this means is for you to come to Christ, he may put his finger on your idol, whatever it is, and say, if you want eternal life, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to give that up with this man, it was his wealth, his property. Maybe for you, it's something else altogether. What is it that's keeping you from really coming to Jesus Christ and acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior? Whatever it is, it's to you what this man's wealth was to him. And Jesus says, if you want me, you have to be willing to give that up.
There's a second lesson for us, for all of us, and it's on the level of evangelism. Because this account has serious implications for our evangelism. Our Lord says, with man, salvation is impossible. Think about that for a moment. That means neither the one sharing the gospel nor the one hearing the gospel can produce a change in the heart, can affect salvation. It is a divine act. We can plant, we can sow, we can water, but God causes the growth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God must command the light to shine where there was darkness, just as he did in the original creation. God has to, in an act of creation, speak light into the dark heart of the sinner. Understand that. Secondly, in this area of evangelism, understand that like Christ, we must appropriately use the law to make sure the person we're talking to knows he's broken, not merely in some sense he's a sinner, but that he has broken the laws of God specifically and deserves God's eternal wrath. That's what Jesus was helping this young man see. And we need to do the same. By the way, there's a helpful little book if you want to read more about that. Walt Chantry's book, Today's Gospel, which really addresses that issue, I think, very well. Thirdly, we must stress in our evangelism both the conditions of eternal life, and that is repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ just as Jesus did with this young man. Isn't that what Paul said in Acts 20, 21, when he was in Ephesus? He solemnly testified to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Leave out either of those parts and you don't have the gospel. Fourthly, like Christ... We ought to manifest a genuine love for those individuals with whom we share the gospel. You see the heart of Christ for this young man. When we think about sharing the gospel, we need to pray that God would give us that kind of heart for people. If we loved people, we would share the gospel. If we really loved them as Christ did, we would want them to know the truth. A fifth principle about our evangelism that grows out of this passage is don't be discouraged when a person refuses the gospel. It happened to Christ here. It happened to Paul. It probably has happened in your own experience. You've shared the gospel with someone and you've gotten discouraged because they've been antagonistic or they haven't responded. They don't want to hear it anymore. I'm tired of hearing that from you. Listen, don't be discouraged when a person refuses the gospel. Salvation is a divine miracle. You say, well, then why should I share the gospel? Very simply, because we're commanded to. It's not an option. The elders and I have been talking, and, you know, as our church, there's so many wonderful strengths that are part of this church. But I think if, if I had to identify a single weakness that I pray about in my own life, I pray about in the life of our church, that I think is the greatest weakness, that is, that is as an individual and as a church, we don't share the gospel, we don't communicate the gospel with people in our lives like we ought to do that. We're commanded to do it. It's not like an option. 
You know, you can't go down the sort of list and say, yeah, I'll do this, Bible reading, yes, prayer. No, evangelism, I'm going to leave that off. That's uncomfortable. It's not like an option. We're commanded to do it. But there's another reason we share the gospel, and that's because the elect need to hear the gospel so they can be saved. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, isn't it? How shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear without someone who communicates that truth to them? But I want you to see Acts. Turn over to Acts 18. Here's why we share the gospel. Here's why Paul shared the gospel. Acts 18. And look at verse 9. Paul's faced real persecution, real trouble in his ministry. And the Lord, verse 9, said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. Watch this. Here's why you ought to keep on sharing the gospel. For I have many people in this city. Listen, this young man wasn't one of them. But we don't know but what the next person we share the gospel with is. God says, I have many people, I have many elect, those I've chosen who will respond to the truth of the gospel. So keep on speaking. Keep on communicating the gospel. That's how you need to think. You're sowing the seed. You can't control the condition of the heart. But inevitably, the seed will fall into good soil prepared by God to hear it. So just keep on sowing. Don't be discouraged. And finally, pray. We should commit ourselves to praying for the salvation of others. Think about it. If you believe where we began tonight, that you have the power to reach inside a person, and if you know the keys to their heart, you can lead them to Christ, why do you need to pray? Because you can do it. That person can do it. But if you believe what Jesus taught tonight, and that is salvation is a human impossibility, only God can do it, then what does that cause us to do? Not only to share the gospel, but to pray that God would work in the heart of those with whom we share the gospel. To pray that he would prepare the soil, that they would be ready to hear it, that they would respond in faith and repentance. Pray. Jesus makes it very clear in this passage that salvation must be a divine act of grace. It is utterly humanly impossible. Can't be done. That's true of your salvation, and it's true of anybody else who comes to faith. May God help us to learn the lesson. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series titled The Rich Young Ruler. Tom will begin a new series on our next program. Join us then, won't you? And Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? I hope you can see, friend, in terms of how our Lord himself presented the gospel to the rich young ruler, that we can trust the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Paul said, that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
It's only through a right understanding of who Christ is and what he's done that anyone can truly be saved. That message is powerful in and of itself, and it's how God draws sinners to himself. And so we don't have the responsibility to sort of tweak and and manipulate the gospel message so that we can produce better results. Instead, like Christ, we are simply to present that message faithfully and entrust the salvation of those we share it with to God, who is the only rescuer, the only Savior. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music